Good morning. I'd like to welcome you into to Redwood. If you are uh, visiting with us, my name's Kurt, and uh, I'm glad that you're here with us today. If, if you're one of our regulars, we're glad that you're here too, glad that, that all of us are able to come together and uh, worship Jesus this morning. Uh, glad that you're here today, especially. We're in the middle of this series called Generations, uh, where we are, are talking about how across the U.S. today and across our churches today, we have uh, five distinct generations kind of at play, and all of us have a distinct set of, of personalities and a distinct set of, of strengths and weaknesses and traits and quirks and all of it, that, that really when we boil it down to it, we're all pointing towards the same thing, we're all headed towards the same thing, but coming at it from very different perspectives. So this has been a very different uh, uh, teaching series. I know for me it's been one that's been really fun to, to write and present. Um, talking to some of you all, it's been kind of fun to walk down memory lane for some of these and, and uh, see what it was that shaped and molded these generations that made us so different but yet at the same time, try to come at this so that we get a better understanding of each other to try and erase some of those divides and those walls that build up between us as generations. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Generation X. And uh, if, you, if you weren't here the first couple of weeks, we hit on those first uh, couple of generations, the builders, the silent generation, and then last week, the boomers, and, and talks about what is unique and distinct about those generations that they bring to the church. I'm excited to talk about Gen X today because that's, that's me. How many Gen Xers do we have in here today? Yeah. Not nearly as many as the boomers, but that's to be expected because you boomers didn't have that many of us Gen Xers. So uh, we, are, we are small in numbers, but we are, we're mighty in our, our slacker and laziness to sit here and do nothing about it. Now, I'll, I'll, I'm going to kind of set this up a little bit this way, because if you're here next week, and I would really encourage you to be here next week when we talk about the millennials, there's a lot of overlap in these two generations. And I'm actually a good example of that because I was born in 1982. I'm born at the very tail end of Gen X. In fact, some, some graphs, some charts like this actually have Gen X ending around 1980. So I could actually fall into the millennial crowd. And there's a subcategory that, that when, when you start getting to the younger generations, we, we change so rapidly that those generational years actually are getting uh, closer and closer together compared to the, the two first ones. And so I kind of fall into what's, what's called the Xennial crowd, which is part Gen X, part millennial. And a lot of people kind of from their late 20s to early to mid 30s fall in a similar spot because we can really relate to both. Uh, so this week, really, you're going to hear a lot of similar themes next week. It's, it's a build. The millennials really have built upon uh, the Gen Xers and a lot of what Gen X has brought to the table. But one thing that's neat about Gen X is Gen X is different than all of the other ones up here uh, for a few reasons, but most specifically, we're different because we didn't really have a lot going on in the world that shaped us like the others did. The silent generation, the, the builders, they had uh, the Great Depression and World War II. The boomers had uh, Vietnam and the Civil Rights Movement. Even the millennials had 9-11 and, and, and the ensuing war on terror and the recession really that, that shaped them and molded them into what they are today. Uh, Gen X really didn't have all that. As Gen X was coming of age, the Cold War was pretty much over. It was winding down. Vietnam had ended. Um, the Soviet Union was falling apart. The U.S. was really emerging as the only superpower in the world. And so, really, everything was good. Everything was going well. In fact, if you look back through history, the late 70s and the 80s were a decade of just big success in the world and in our country. Uh, bank accounts were big. Hair was big. Shoulder pads were big. Everything was big. You know, huge Aquanet cans were big in the 80s. 
Everything was big when we were growing up and coming of age. And so we didn't really have a lot of the things going on in the world negatively to shape us the way some of the other generations had. Instead, what we had was a massive shift in the culture around us. And that, more than anything, really shaped and changed who we are. This was a generation where cell phones became a thing. And, and people started getting cell phones. And today we have you know, these great computers we can fit in our hand. But once upon a time, we had these things. How many of you had one of these, like, they're like the size of a cinder block, okay? I didn't have one, but we grew up watching Saved by the Bell with Zach Morris, and he had one at school, and he'd order pizza at school, and that was like the coolest thing ever, but they were like the size of a Buick, you know? They were huge. I mean, they were enormous phones uh, to have. This was a generation that, that computers became more widestream. Uh, computers in our homes and in our schools. As, as a kid, we had them in our schools, but they were very special use. They were used really just for uh, so, some, some research, but mostly ours were used for like educational entertainment. So like certain games we would play that were science or history-based. Like maybe you grew up playing the Oregon Trail. Anybody? Anybody ever beat the Oregon Trail? So fun story, I found this online this week. You can actually Google play Oregon Trail. You can find a website where you can play it right online. So this week I thought, you know, I'm sermon prepping. I really need to play this game. So um, I did. I'm proud to say for the first time ever, I made it to Oregon. I made it all the way. And what I'm really proud to say is I did this as a single parent because my wife died at the first river crossing. Um, The funny thing is we played it once before. She also died at the first. She can't swim apparently. So... um, but I'm really proud to say my, my skills as a parent is I made it to almost Oregon with my kids still alive. My last one died about two days before I made it. So I did pretty good, though. I made it several months with three children. So, um, but I, I made it. I survived a snake bite and typhoid fever, and I made it to Oregon. So I, I made it all the way. Thank you. That is one of the highlights of my adult life so far. I just want you to know that. Uh, But we got in-home gaming systems for the first time. We didn't have to go to arcades. We had the Atari, the the Commodore 64. Maybe you are a a younger Gen Xer like me. You grew up with with the original Nintendo system, playing great games like Super Mario Brothers and and Duck Hunt. And my favorite was Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. I I loved Mike. I still remember the code to skip straight to Mike Tyson at the end and lose in 15 seconds because one punch and he would knock you out. We were the generation that grew up with the war on drugs. Maybe you remember watching uh, President Reagan and his wife Nancy launch this campaign that told us to just say no. And, and you saw the commercial with uh, the guy holding up the egg. You can finish this. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. And he would crack it in the skillet, right? We grew up watching that and, and, and going alongside this. Yet at the same time, we saw many of our icons and heroes of this generation struggle with drug abuse. And, and, and they would smoke whatever they could get their hands on and, and snort and shoot up everything like it was candy. And this was a generation where we saw the crack epidemic sweep across the poor parts of, of cities all across our country. And when we saw this happening and fighting, culture constantly was shifting around the Gen Xers growing up. And I think two areas in particular, this really stood out and really shaped and molded us more than anything else. The first was marketing. Look at how marketing changed in the 80s. Marketing suddenly became, it's all about you. You're the most important thing, so what you need is what we'll provide. What you want is what we'll provide. And, and we saw this with our athletes. Maybe you, you know this guy here was kind of the icon of the 80s and the early 90s, was my hero growing up as a basketball player. 
And, and Michael Jordan was really the first one to capture this spirit and really the first athlete to become highly marketable. And, and, and Nike made these shoes for him that, that cost a ton of money to buy, but they told you if you buy these, you can, you can be like Mike. And you can fly, and you can dunk, and for a five-foot, nine-inch white guy with a 10-inch vertical, they didn't help. <laughs> they didn't help my jump shot either. But we saw this. We were told by places like Burger King, you can have it your way. It's all about me, right? And maybe most telling was the Canon camera commercial with, with tennis star Andre Agassi and his amazing mullet that he had in the 80s, and, and those flashy outfits that he wore when he said, image is everything. Image is everything. It's all about image. It's all about style. It's all about flash. It's all about you. That's what Gen Xers grew up being told. Now, maybe the more uh, impactful part of culture around Gen X was the music. See, before us, most of the generations grew up really with one or two styles of music to pick from. But when it came to the, the late 70s, going into the early 80s, rock and roll pretty well died as we knew it in the 70s, and to replace it came a variety of music styles. And so in the early 80s, we had things like pop and punk music that came out, and, and punk bands like the Ramones or, or uh, Bad Religion or, or pop stars like Prince and Michael Jackson and Madonna and, and Whitney Houston uh, really burst onto the scene. Rock and roll was replaced by heavy metal. We had groups like Metallica and ACDC and Pantera, Iron Maiden or Black Sabbath. Um, Megadeth, Ken's telling me from the back. He wanted to wear his Megadeth t-shirt this morning. As the younger Gen Xers came along in the 90s, it was this wave of new metal, and we had bands like Korn and Nine Inch Nails or System of a Down. Uh, we, we had bands like this. But probably the two most impactful and influential music genres that were largely misunderstood by anybody outside of Gen X, uh, one of them was gangster rap. This new wave of music coming out of places like Southern California, uh, launched by groups like NWO and then, then mastered by artists like Snoop Doggy Dog and Tupac and the Notorious B.I.G., came out and, and it brought with it these very graphic lyrics. They caught a lot of us by storm, but the artists claimed this is what we live in everyday life and we're sharing it with you. And it was lyrics with the themes of murder and rape. And, 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 and fighting and drug abuse and, and interactions with police. And, and, and then rock and roll was replaced by alternative rock and the grunge movement. And we had bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam, uh, Alice in Chains and the Smashing Pumpkins. This is music that, that I really was growing up on in the mid-90s. And, and they brought with it lyrics that were just dark and, and deep and, and gave us questions to ask that we couldn't answer. And they focused on topics like social alienation or self-doubt and self-abuse and betrayal and, and emotional isolation. And we listened to this music because we were seeking answers to questions that we didn't even know how to ask. And our parents, the boomers, were too busy working for us to ask them. So we turned to icons like this to listen to what they had to say. And, and in the process, we watched as some of the great icons of these genres, like Kurt Cobain that you just saw there in the middle from Nirvana, get addicted to drugs and kill himself. And we watched as some of the, the top rap stars got into feuds, East Coast, West Coast feuds. And we saw guys like Tupac and Biggie get into a feud that was so strong that both of them were killed in drive-by shootings just a few months apart. And we had a lot of questions that we weren't getting answers for. And as a result of that, it led to confusion, and confusion led to it, like the sense of entrapment, and the sense of entrapment led to uh, us just lashing out. 
And if you want an example of this, look at something that we tried to recapture in our generation. We saw our parents, the boomers, go to Woodstock in 1969 and and celebrate music and culture and, and the movement that the world was headed into. So we tried to recapture that with the 30th anniversary by throwing our own Woodstock in the same place in upstate New York in 1999. And the same thing happened. It was 400,000 young men and women showed up. But instead of this, peace, uh, this is festival of peace and love and hope, it very quickly turned dark and scary and dangerous, and it became a festival of angst and hatred and rage. And in fact, when, when it was winding down, uh, our generation ripped apart the stage and lit it on fire and burned it to the ground. Fights broke out. People felt unsafe. In fact, MTV, who put on this festival, pulled all their people out for, for fear of their safety. And Kurt Loder, who was a, a, a personality on MTV that was a voice of reason for many of us, he said this about Woodstock 99. He said, it was dangerous to be around. The whole scene was scary. There was just waves of hatred bouncing all over the place. There was a palpable mood of anger. That was what it was kind of like to be a younger member of the Gen X. It was confusion that led to anger and anger that led to hatred and hatred that led to hurt. And we lash that out towards other people. And it's easy to think that was just us. We're not the only generation that's ever dealt with that. The Apostle Paul in Titus chapter 3 said this, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And I think probably if we were all able to look back, we would think and realize that at some point in our lives, We've struggled with that list there. The difference with Gen X was we struggled with it together, and that just inflamed all of those. This was a generation of latchkey kids, and many kids like me had had a key like this that they would put on a string around their neck and wear to school with them, or maybe tie to their backpack and wear to school with them, because when they came home from school, nobody was going to be there. Their parents were working. So we were, we were really the first generation where both parents were working outside the house. Or we were the generation where divorce started becoming a little bit more mainstream, and therefore there was only one parent at home, period, and he or she might not be there that often. I know I came home from school every day. I lived a half a block from the school, so I would come home every day, just my, my younger brother and I, for a couple of hours. My dad went to work at 3 o'clock. My mom got home at 5.30. So we had a couple of hours in there where I would bring my key let my brother and I in, and we had freedom. We had freedom to kind of do whatever we wanted so long as we weren't getting into trouble. We had a select group of friends our parents let come over or let us go to their houses, and we just kind of spent time. And we looked back on it, there was a couple of hour window in there. We were basically raising ourselves. We're called the latchkey kids. It's kind of the generation of the 80s and the 90s. And what that means is we had questions and nobody was there to answer them. We had questions that nobody was around for. And what that led to was just more and more confusion in the world. More and more questions not being answered. More and more uh, times where we saw something that looked promising quickly become anything but that. A great example of that is something that many of us in the Gen X watched live as children. In 1986, we watched the Space Shuttle Challenger. 
with the promise of knowing that there's a teacher on board this flight. First time ever there'd been a teacher on board a space flight, and we were going to watch live as she launched into space and then come back over the following week and watch as she gave lessons from outer space that we were going to learn about in our science and math classes. But 73 seconds after liftoff, we watched live as this thing broke apart and exploded live on television. And in many ways, this was a good example of what it was like growing up in Gen X. Hope and promise and excitement that quickly, quickly went the wrong direction. And again, more questions without answers. More questions that we couldn't understand. And as a result, that led to cynicism and skepticism in Gen X. And that led to uh, more confusion and, 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 again, more of this feeling of being trapped. And, and, and what that did in, in a lot of kids in the Gen X is it built up rage and anger and hatred that we didn't know what to do with. And so we would bottle it up until eventually it, it spilled out. And when it spilled out, it would cause us to hurt ourselves and to hurt others. And, and this was the decade in the late 80s and early 90s when school shootings became a thing. We didn't know what else to do, so we just went and shot each other in schools. And I, rem- I remember being a, a grade schooler and a middle schooler hearing about, oh, there's a shooting and three kids were killed. Oh, there's a shooting and five kids were killed. And it's like you're trying to disconnect from all of this, and it just kept escalating. And I remember vividly, April of 1999, I was driving back to my, my high school. I'd been home to get something for soccer practice and was driving back, hearing on the radio about a situation that was ongoing at Columbine High School, just outside of Denver, where two students my age had walked into their school with automatic weapons and sawed-off shotguns and homemade pipe bombs and terrorized their school. And when the dust settled, they realized they'd killed 12 classmates and one teacher and then killed themselves, injured dozens and dozens more, and left the rest of us outside of there scarred and scared. And I think when when we looked at it, everybody wanted to, to blame something. The parents wanted to blame something. They didn't want to blame the kids. They wanted to blame, was it music? Was it, was it, was it the video games they were playing or the, the movies that they were watching? What was the cause of this? Something had to be the cause of this. And I think more and more, as we've kind of put this event in the rearview mirror and looked back at it, we realized that we just had so much going on and we didn't know what to do with it. We felt trapped by it. If anything, I think the, a lyric sung by the Smashing Pumpkins might sum, uh, sum it up the best. When they said, despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. That was how a lot of us in Gen X felt at times. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. And I think what what we kind of look back at it was when this was a generation in their teen years, if they weren't dealing with anger and rage, the, the pendulum swung the complete other way and they were just dealing with apathy. And they just felt nothing. And too often... This was a generation that just kind of had a whatever kind of attitude. What's going on in the world? I don't care, whatever. We didn't know how to respond, so why respond at all? Just kind of whatever. And that included how we impacted the lives of others. If we hurt others or we hurt ourselves, whatever. That was life, at least in the latter part of Gen X. I think if there's a character from the Bible that kind of sums this up better than anybody else, it might be King Solomon. His father, King David, might have been a quintessential boomer, right? He he accomplished more than almost anybody else in the Bible. And he didn't always accomplish it all the right way, but he was able to look back and be honest about it. But this this was King David, the man after God's own heart, conquered uh, 
lands for Israel, won battles for Israel, was an amazing accomplished king. And when he dies, his son Solomon comes behind him and inherits all of this. And we read about how Solomon became one of the, uh, the, the wealthiest person to ever live and one of the wisest people to ever live, how he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which I guess you could argue goes against you know, him being wise, but he had all of this, right? He had everything. He had all of this. And yet, right in the middle of having all of this, he wrote these words. He said, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This guy's got the, the modern-day equivalent of billions upon billions of dollars, and everything is meaningless. He'd go on and write these words, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I've earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I've gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in the world. Sounds about right, huh? I think a lot of times, Gen X, we, <clears throat> we kind of felt that. Meaningless. Well, why even bother? Why even bother going through it? It's just meaningless. We're just chasing the wind, right? We had a, a similar kind of whatever, flippant attitude towards things. Now, you couple that with, with where Gen X falls. Gen X is the smallest of the generations. It's one of the smallest that the U.S. has seen in this past century. And, and it's sandwiched between the two biggest. Millennia, or you got, got the baby boomers on one side, 76 million strong, biggest generation in U.S. history. And on the other side, you've got millennials that are almost the same size. In fact, a lot of people think millennials might have even passed boomers at this point and become a bigger generation. And you've got these two huge generations that are pushing and, and that, that are, are getting all the attention in the world. On one side, you've got the boomers who think that they're special because of everything they've accomplished in life. On the other side, you've got the millennials who think they're special because they can breathe. <laughs> I'm not going to pile too much on the millennials. Because here's the thing on the millennials, we, we kind of call them the, the participation trophy generation or the graduation generation. But who made them that way? We did. Gen X did. Why? Because we felt we weren't getting enough attention from our parents, so we went over the top with our kids. And we gave them far more than we ever had, and we told them they were special at every turn of the, the, the road. We told them that they uh, were great because of who they were. And, and so, you don't pile on them at all. That's, that's what they grew up in. I really encourage you, be here next week. Because we're going to talk about millennials and what makes millennials such a, a, a passionate generation. A lot of similarities to, the, to Gen X, just coming at it from different perspectives. Where Gen Xers were apathetic and at times didn't feel anything, millennials have felt it too much. So don't, don't miss that. Be here next week. But, but sandwiched between these two big generations, Gen X is sometimes, I think, appropriately called the middle child generation because we get overlooked. And as a result of that, or, or, or kind of because of that, you, you can watch commercials on TV. Watch advertisements on TV and look who they're geared towards. Most of them are either geared towards people in their mid-50s and up or mid-30s and down. Not a lot really geared to the 30s and 40s and early 50s crowd. Why? Because it's a small generation. There's not as much money as there are in the other two. There's tens of millions more boomers and, and, and uh, millennials. 
So I think when you look at all of this and you kind of capture all of this, it's really easy to think this is a generation that's just very whatever. So question, anyone feel depressed yet? (laughs) If so, welcome to Gen X. This is kind of how, how we grew up. So how do we take this generation that fought through all of this, that as kids and as teenagers were referred to as lazy and as slackers, and, and, and see what they bring to the church that's different than the others. Uh, just a couple of traits that kind of bounce into my head. Uh, I, I would say that this is a, a generation that it has learned to, to think quick and be quick on its feet. This is a generation that's learned how to learn on the fly. Uh, I know for myself, when I grew up as a kid, things were still kind of old-fashioned. We didn't have technology all over the place in the early 80s. So we got to learn things the old-fashioned way. We learned technology and computers when we were teenagers, perfect age to learn new things, right? And so as a result, we were able to adapt really easily to all of that, think on our feet, be quick on our feet, not get rattled very easily. Uh, We're a generation that understands balance. We watched our parents work and work and work, uh, really becoming workaholics at time, and they would work uh, extra hours and work extra days uh, and really cheat their families under the umbrella term of providing for our families, but they were never home to celebrate and do things with. We saw that. We understand that. We've brought a little more balance to to our lives. And and we've shifted some of our focus from just working all the time to our kids, sometimes to a fault. Let's be honest, sometimes to a fault. We've done this. But I think we're also a generation that, that kind of without a lot of people noticing, shed those slacker and lazy labels and learn how to answer the bell when it rings. And we're a generation that does this, and even if we don't like why it's ringing, we don't understand it, we'll do it anyway. We might question you a dozen times while we're doing it, but we just want to understand. You, you look at 9-11. When that happened, almost all the first responders were from Gen X. The war that followed, the early stages of it, almost all the troops were Gen X. They didn't understand it, they might not have liked it, but they were there fighting it. They were there doing what needed to be done, answering the bell. I think when it comes to the church, though, I think Gen X is about two main areas, that's relationships and significance. Uh, we, we, we see relationships as something that as, as young kids we didn't really have. As teenagers, we might not have had. We were, we were a little more isolated. Sometimes that was self-inflicted, but we want to shed past that and move more into relationships with families. This has trickled on down to our kids and into millennials who thrive on this. Uh, but, but you look at relationships and you see the value that comes out of them. Uh, Proverbs 13, we read this, the, to, uh, to walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harms. Now you think about this, this, this phrase here about relationships and look who it's written by. This is written by King Solomon. Same guy who earlier in his life said everything was meaningless. What, what we see is that, that as he moved on in life, as, as he grew up in life, as he matured in life, he understood what a lot of Gen Xers, what a lot of... Uh, sorry, millennials started to understand, is that life is not meant to be lived alone. Life is meant to be shared with others. Go back to the beginning. God created Adam. He, he was there working in the garden, and, and God makes the statement after a while, man shouldn't be alone. So he created the woman for him. And, and, and he made Eve to be not just a wife, but a friend and a companion, somebody to share life with. And so Gen X has, has moved past this. They've wanted to uh, work into relationships. That's where I, our, our uh, rooted groups here at the church are so valuable and so important. 
Because it's not just about helping disciple each other with Jesus. It's about sharing life with each other. Helping with each other in their their problems and issues that we face so that we're not facing them alone. We're not facing them on our own. We're facing them together. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What's the translation there? Is that when you are living a life with others, for others, it's healthier for you and for them. It's healthier physically, mentally, spiritually, all the above. It's just healthier to live a life that focuses away from your own heart sometimes and into the hearts of other people. In fact, I would say it this way. It's much more difficult to be self-absorbed when you're pouring into the lives of others. It's much more difficult. Much more difficult to be selfish when you're focused on other people. But Gen X also is seeking some, some significance. Uh, I think to some degree, we're still looking for it in the eyes of those around us. You see, we grew up watching our, our parents, the boomers, earn respect and earn significance in the world. And we were, we were told at an early age, well, if you want respect and significance, you have to earn it. You have to earn it. Go work hard. Let people see what you do, and, and you'll earn that. The problem is, as we started working hard, nobody was watching. They were still focused on what they were doing because that boomer generation kept working. They never stopped. And, and so we felt like we weren't getting validation, like we weren't getting uh, any of that. And, and as a result, we, we kept, I think, developing that whatever kind of attitude. But as we've gotten older, I think we've stepped back and we've realized that Significance doesn't matter when it comes to the world. Significance only matters when it comes from God. Significance and validation only matter in the eyes of God. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gave a very famous passage. He told his disciples, he said, If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of you would perish. We think about this, and we, we read this passage, and often we read it from an evangelistic standpoint as we're the shepherd, and the sheep are the people who are following, and we need to go chase after the one who's wandered off. But sometimes we have to put ourselves in the perspective of the sheep, because we are all still following. We're following Jesus. We're following God. And all of us at some point in time have been the one who's wandered off. And it's very easy when you're the one who's wandered off and there's a crowd going on there, it's easy to realize that you've wandered off and not been noticed. You've wandered off and nobody has caught the fact that you've wandered off. And you might be jumping up and down, waving your arms, going, hey, look over here. You lost me. And nobody turns around to look. And it's easy to let that sink you further into whatever it was that you got stuck in, that rut you're stuck in, that depression you're stuck in, whatever it might be, you're just screaming, look at me. And what we have to realize is is God notices. Jesus has noticed. And he comes to you in that moment. And he tells you, I love you more than you could understand. I value you and I treasure you more than you can, can realize. When we find that significance, we realize what we are in God and who we are in God. And I think what what Gen X has kind of realized over over the course of time is that when you're willing to surrender to God, you find that validation. 
you find that significance. And, and too often, especially with, with Gen X, and I know this is the case moving forward, we've been taught from the world, you know what, go do what you want to do. If it feels good, do it. If it looks good, do it. If, it's, if it sounds good, go for it. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, you do you. You be you. That's the phrase we've heard a lot. And often what we're doing that we want to do is anything but what God wants us to do. But what God's telling us is, no, if, if, if you surrender to me and you follow in and focus right behind me, you'll find who you truly are. See, I, I really believe this, that, that living for God and finding satisfaction and validation with him and finding what I, we, we're really made for and want to do are not mutually exclusive. Uh, some people want to make the claim, if, if I follow God, I've got to give up all the stuff I love. Well, do you really love it, or have you just convinced yourself you really love it? Have you let the world convince you that you really love it? Those, those two things don't need to be split. I, I love this quote. I saw it this week. It said, God's purpose to be glorified and my passion to be satisfied are not at odds. They come together in finding my satisfaction in God. Translation, if you find God and you follow Him, you'll find who you truly are and what you're meant to be. You'll find who you're made to be. See, I think when we realize where our significance comes from, where our validation comes from, and then we realize that we can share that in community with others, we start finding out a little bit more of our true purpose for God. The builders taught us and continue to teach us wisdom that the rest of us haven't caught up to yet. They teach us about respect. They teach us how about resentment and how we can avoid that. The boomers teach us about being honest and how to be hopeful towards the future, Gen X shows us that life's not meant to be lived alone, and, and, and that our significance is found not in the world, but only in God. I encourage you, be, be here next week, because the millennials are one of the most misunderstood generations in American history. And when you see what it is that they truly are passionate about, you see that in a lot of ways, they're both exactly the same and exactly opposite of Gen X you'll get a better picture of who they are. And you'll get a better picture more and more of what each of us brings to the table. And we realize, honestly, at the the very core, we're all so similar. We're just coming at it from different angles. All of us needs each of us. All of us needs each of us. The church needs all of us. And all of us needs each of us. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. We're so thankful God, that that you made us unique, that you made us different. Because God, that shows us that we need to trust in you. That we need to come through you and put aside uh, sometimes our differences. Because God, it it shows us to trust each other, to trust you. God, I don't know where we're all at today on our walk with you, Lord. But I ask that that if anybody's on that that, that fringe, on that, that, that thought of making that step towards you, God, you would give them courage and strength, and God, the rest of us would come alongside. God, the rest of us that might be in that 99 would reach out to that one and show them, God, that true purpose, true significance is found in you alone. God, we're, we're so thankful that, that Jesus died for all of us, regardless what our differences might have been. So thankful that, that he commissioned the church to be the church, regardless of what our differences might be. And God, we're, we're so thankful that, that he, he came for all of us. 
God, I, I pray that, that what makes us different on this earth would not keep us from becoming one in you. God, that it would not keep us from, from being strong and united in one following you. And God, that through you, through you, Lord, we could make an impact in the community around us. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that he died for us. We pray in his name. Amen.